All right, so uh, thank you all for joining us for our Tuesday night um, Bible study here at the Scriber Conservatory. It is a pleasure to be with you all on Tuesday nights, and it is an honor to be in your presence to be able to bring you um, the word, the teaching for tonight. So um, we have been talking about the apostolic and um, what that what that means. And um, so last Tuesday, we heard from Minister Varuva, and she gave us some powerful day-to-day examples of what being apostolic looks like in our daily lives, right? And the Tuesday before that, we heard from Apostle Pam, and she shared on what an apostolic community is like. So today, I want to talk about a few things specifically from Sunday's teaching on the indisputable cornerstones of the apostolic, which is also live um, on YouTube if any one of you missed it, or um, if you want to uh, replay the teaching, it's live on YouTube right now. So um, as I shared on Sunday, there were several points um, that Apostle Teresa made that really hit me, and I'm just going to talk about a few of them um, this evening, and I pray that as I share that it really Uh, blesses you. So the main point that I want to talk about tonight that really stuck with me is when Apostle said the apostolic is not spoiled by miracles, signs, and wonders, right? She said the apostolic is not spoiled by miracles, signs, and wonders. And so I really had to think about that for a while because I'm like, like I would say, well, I'm not going to be spoiled by miracle signs and wonders, but we have the prime example of a group of people who actually were spoiled by miracle signs and wonders. And I want us to take a look at that um, tonight. I'm going to share a lot of scriptures. Um, so hopefully you guys are able to write, jot the scriptures down. And if not, um, I can probably tap up the scriptures afterwards and post them in the Scrabble Conservatory Facebook group. So um, the first part that we're going to look at is Moses and the Israelites. All throughout the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, we learn about Moses and the trek that he took to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. This is a story we all know too well, so I, I highly doubt I'll be sharing anything new, but I hope to provide a different perspective. So the Israelites were a people who saw miracles, signs, and wonders consistently, right? So before Moses started um, on the trek to lead them out of Egypt, we saw Egypt get hit with 10 plagues, right? And this was God showing, attempting to show Pharaoh that the Israelites were his people. So they saw water turn to blood in Exodus 7, where the Nile River turned to blood and all the fish in the river died and all the people of Egypt, they didn't have any fresh water to drink because God was trying to hit Egypt in a way where they could feel it, right? We saw the plague of frogs, gnats, flies, all types of animals that I don't do. (laughs) All of this was God trying to show 
not only Pharaoh, but the Israelites that, no, you guys are a set apart people. And he, all of this, he was trying to, to show a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Then they also saw the plague of livestock where all the cattle, the horses, cows, donkeys, you name it, you know, that belonged to the Egyptians, all of those animals died. The livestock that belonged to the Israelites did not die. So to me, from my perspective, if you're an Israelite in captivity and you see all these plagues happening around you, yet God is protecting you, surely that would make you believe, right? Then we saw the plague of boils where there were boils um, rising up on the skin of the Egyptians and their animals. God did not leave any anybody behind when it came down to the Egyptians. He hit them personally and their animals. Then we saw hail, locusts, darkness. I mean, God was showing out. He was literally doing everything to show a distinction. The last plague that he did was um, when the firstborn of every Egyptian died. And the, um, the firstborns of the Israelites were safe. Mind you, remember that God is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. And Proverbs 21 verse 1 tells us that the heart of the king is in God's hands. So me reading this, I feel like the signs and wonders were more for the Israelites than it was for Pharaoh. After the plagues happened, the Israelites finally leave Egypt in Exodus 13. Then if you read Exodus 13, verse 17 to 18, it states, so it happened when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So the question that I have for you guys tonight is, why did God intentionally have the Israelites go on a detour? Why did he make them take the long way? Especially since God knows the beginning and he knows the end. So he knew they were going to complain in the, in the wilderness. He knew that they were going to be disobedient he knew that they were going to lose hope he knew all of that was going to was going to happen he knew that it was going to take them 40 years an entire generation would pass before the israelites could see the promised land if god knew that why would he make them take the long way and what i want to share tonight is that god wanted the israelites to know him he wanted the israelites to know him and just like now, God wants us to, to know him. He wants us to know his voice, his ways. He wants us to know his mind, his heart, not just his miracles. Acts 17 verse 28 says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. So I just went through the 10 plagues, right? But God was nowhere near done. Even after he did all of that to show the Israelites that he was with them, he parted the Red Sea. He made food available. And I, I did a little bit of research and 
it was almost 600,000 people that fled Egypt. So he was able to feed multitudes of people, not just hundreds of people, but hundreds of thousands of people. He drew water from a rock. I mean, he, he did the works. He literally guided them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Only for us to read in Hebrews chapter three, it says today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, the children of Israel tested God, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So to us, looking back, we're reading at, at all that God did to show himself, to show who he was, to show his faithfulness to the Israelites. And they still tested God. So that tells me it, it's not about the miracles. It's not about the signs and the wonders. It's about the mindset that the Israelites failed to have that kept them from reaching the promised land when they were supposed to. This is why the apostolic is not spoiled by miracles, signs, and wonders. It's not to say that God doesn't do that anymore. He does. But what if the miracle is that you made it through? What if your life is the sign and the wonder? What if it's you and not necessarily something that you're waiting to happen? One of my favorite scriptures, I know I say that a lot uh, about a lot of scriptures, but this one really is, is found in Ecclesiastes 11, verse four to six. And I've, and I've quoted it before. It says, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe both. That's Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 to 6. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe both. So the first thing that I want to say is God controls the harvest, but you put your seed in the ground. God controls the harvest, but you put your seed in the ground. Do what you know to do. Do what you know to do instead of waiting for certain conditions to line up for some, for a miracle, for a sign and the wonder. Do what you know to do. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says, for his divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything that you need is in Christ Jesus. Everything that you need to live is in Christ Jesus. It's available to you. 
John 17, verse 9. We talked about this on Sunday and in a couple in a couple Sundays back. The world's greatest sin is that the world does not believe. So when I share that everything that you need is in Christ Jesus, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? Sometimes we can believe that for other people. We can intercede for other people, but we have not fully accepted that word for ourselves. Do you believe that you have everything that you need in Christ Jesus? When we read Hebrews chapter three, verse 16 through 19, going into Hebrews chapter four, and it's talking about Moses and the Israelites. It states, who were they who heard and rebelled? Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not though with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Do you believe? Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The next scripture that I'm going to share is Ephesians 4 verse 14. It states, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Futility meaning completely useless, serving no purpose, ineffective, frivolous. As far as your your way of thinking, the mindset that you may have, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, for they don't believe. One of the things that Apostle said on Sunday, she said, it's amazing what people accomplish because they wanted to. What do you want? What is it that you want? A journey that was supposed to take weeks for the Israelites, it took them years. What do you want? Had they made a decision, had they had an apostolic mindset, that journey would not have taken them 40 years. Let this mind be in you. Apostle said to allow that mindset, make room for that mindset, choose that mindset, resist any other mindset. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. We can change that scripture to say, I discipline my mind 
So I believe where he's in verse 27, where he says, I strike a blow to my body. I beat my body and make it my slave. We can say I discipline my mind to believe when an incorrect thought comes into my mind. I counter it with the truth of God. I discipline my mind. I train my mind to believe the word of God. David commanded his soul in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Sometimes you have to take control of the situation of your mind. You have to train yourself to think differently. You have to train and discipline yourself, discipline your language, discipline yourself so that you're not rehearsing the same the same things lies anything that is contrary to the word of God to what God has said to what God has promised you have to discipline yourself and train yourself to think otherwise in numbers chapter chapter 11 we know this scripture all too well especially if you've ever been to um, a scrabble advance conference um, this is the scripture where Moses is crying out to God, telling him that the load of leading the Israelites is too much. He was telling God that, look, it's too much to bear. I can't do anything. He he approached God as if God had abandoned him. He, he, he looked at it as a punishment that God assigned him to lead the Israelites. And he was crying out to God. And the instruction that God gave him was to gather the 70 leaders, the 70 elders of the group, to stand with him. And if you read further in Numbers 11, chapter 28, he says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them so that all of it would not fall on him. He prayed and he said, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. And here we are, thousands of years later, trying to go back to the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, when the cloud is within us. In Exodus 13, we also learn about the branded marks. Give me one second, I lost my place in my notes. We learn about the branded marks that the Israelites would often have to do as a sign that they are God's people. Oftentimes, um, they would have ceremonies to do this. Um, and, and the mark was, a, it was a physical mark um, to show the distinction, right? We don't need that mark anymore. Holy Spirit is our mark now. Holy Spirit is our brand now. Holy Spirit is our sign now. We are sealed in Holy Spirit. We don't need a physical mark. We don't need to participate in a ceremony to have that sign, to have that mark. Holy Spirit is our brand now. The other thing that I wanted to bring up that I got from Sunday's teaching was um, Jesus made up his mind to endure the crucifixion. And I'm going to tie this back in with what we just read about um, Moses and the Israelites, right? So Jesus made up his mind to endure. He made up his mind to endure. Some some of us just need to make up our mind. Some of us just need to choose to decide to endure. In Matthew chapter 26, we learn about the events that took place leading up to the crucifixion. This is where we see Jesus in the garden of uh, Gethsemane, 
which means I looked it up. It means olive press. It said that in um, like in the footnotes of my Bible. And personally, I think that's a word in and of itself, because when, you know, you press olives, that's how you get olive oil. Um, so the Garden of Gethsemane, that's what that means, olive press. But anywho, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is crying out to God. This is where he asked his father to take the cup from him. But yet, even as he's asking, he said, yet not as my will, but your will. After he finished praying, he knew that the end was near. And he goes back to the disciples and he tells them, um, let's go. My betrayer is near. And shortly after that, that's when we see Judas approach him with a kiss and Jesus is immediately arrested. One of the people who are with Jesus, they drew a sword to fight for Jesus. And Jesus said, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will immediately provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Um, Prophet Andrea brought up the scripture too in the perfect conditions and she emphasized some of the circumstances, the situations that we find ourselves in have to happen in the way that they're happening. There's no other way around it. There's not a shortcut. There's not a miracle. There's not a magic trick that's just going to snap. We can snap our fingers and the situation will vanish. Sometimes it has to happen that way. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, we read that although Christ was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience. He learned obedience. That blessed me because it's not like he came into this world and we get that he was without sin, but he still had to learn obedience through what he was going through, through the crucifixion. He learned it. So when we talk about Christ being the, the model, the prototype, this is why he learned obedience just like we have to learn. Apostle said, obedience is the template for your life. Christ modeled that. He learned obedience and he modeled that obedience is the template for your life. We have a high priest who understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same tests that we do. And he did not sin. He knew who he was, but he had purpose. He was focused on the end game. He was focused on his assignment. There were moments where Christ did question God on the cross when he quoted David in Psalms and he asked God, why had he forsaken him? Or when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he asked God to take this cup from him. We know that he had times where he questioned God. But he learned obedience through his suffering. He learned obedience. He ascended. He allowed purpose to prevail. And the point that I want to make tonight is purpose is apostolic. Knowing your purpose, living by your purpose, living intentionally, living with the end goal in mind, not making sure that we're not living life haphazardly in a wayward fashion, to going to and fro, any direction that the wind blows, but knowing your purpose and waking up every day 
with that goal in mind, with the end goal in mind, focusing on what is eternal and not just those that those things that are temporal. That is apostolic. This is what it means to me to be apostolic because the difference is what we see Christ did compared to what the Israelites did in the Old Testament as we read in Exodus and Numbers. Christ had the opportunity to make miracles his way out, to create a sign and a wonder, but he learned obedience. The Israelites, even with all the signs, the wonders, the miracles, they still did not learn. They still did not have the right mindset to be able to, to be able to triumph, to be able to make it to the promised land. The last thing that I want to share tonight is um, something that I believe Dr. K has brought brought up. Um, and it was the story about the, the gentleman who wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, that gentleman's name is Horatio Spafford. And um, he, he, he went through several trials um, and it was seemingly back to back. Um, a couple of years before he wrote that song, he had lost everything that he owned in a fire. And then um, his four-year-old son had passed away from, from scarlet fever. And after that happened, um, he sent his wife and four daughters um, on a ship to England. Um, and he had planned to join them afterwards. While the four daughters and his wife were on the way to England, um, the ship collided with something in the ocean and it sunk and his four daughters passed away. Um, they said that he sent, his wife sent a telegram with the words saved alone written on it back to him. And that's how he found out that two years after he lost his son, his, fi his belongings all in a fire, he now lost his four daughters. So he immediately went um, to, to travel to, to, to England to meet up with his wife. And it is said that when the ship was passing over the area that the tragedy of his four daughters occurred, the captain of the ship told him that. And in that moment, the words of the song came to him that says, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my, my lot, thou hast taught me to know it is well, it is well with my soul. And the reason why I brought up that story is I too believe that is apostolic. I believe that apostolic means to ascend, to rise above your circumstances, um, regardless of what you have going on around you to prevail, to persevere, to keep pushing forward. Um, I believe that the apostolic doesn't look for another miracle. I believe that, that I'm a walking miracle myself. I don't need something else to happen to show me, to make me believe. I already believe. I already believe that that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. I already believe God's promises. I already believe that I have everything that I need. I already believe that I don't have lack. 
that I have a father who can provide for me according to his glorious riches. I already believe. And I don't, while I do think that God still does miracles, while I do think that God still can still show us signs, while I do know that God still has dreams, he still gives dreams to people, I will not allow that to steer me. So that in the situation, if I'm ever in the situations where the dreams cease or the signs cease, that I'm still able to move forward. That me not having a dream doesn't keep me from moving forward in my life. And that to me is what the apostolic is. And I want to follow Christ's model. I want to follow the example that Christ gave us and learn obedience, allow my circumstances, allow my, any a situation that I may be suffering, that may be hurting, allow that to bring out the best in me, allow that, allow myself to get to know God in those situations, to learn his voice and his ways and his heart, and not just his hand, and not just what he can do for me. So that's my, um, my interpretation and my perspective from what we have been discussing these past couple of weeks. And I hope that it has blessed you. And I hope that it gives you more understanding um, into what the apostolic is.